Well, hello, Mercy Road. It is good to be with you this morning. Whether you're joining us online or in person, it is my privilege today to bring God's word to us. We're wrapping up a series that we've got a lot of feedback over the last couple of weeks called Guardrails. And um, I'm excited to bring us back into that in just a moment. But in case we haven't met, whether you're joining us for the first time or in person, my name is Chad Murphy, and I'm the spiritual formation pastor here. And I get to wrap up this series. It's a, a humbling opportunity, but I delight in that. Uh, today, I think, is going to be vitally important as we think about guardrails in our lives. The, the title of today's message is Guard Your Heart. And we are going to look at several verses, but the one that will be most pertinent this morning is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. But I want to take you back. Um, I was trying to figure out the math. It was probably about 45 years ago in my life. Uh, we were blessed. I grew up in the state of Michigan along the shores of Lake Michigan in a town called Holland. And um, we lived along the lake, and that meant I got to go play on and in Lake Michigan a lot. And it was one of my favorite things growing up. Well, in the winter, probably a little earlier in the season than right now, ice would begin to form along the shores of Lake Michigan, and I loved that. Um, unlike an inland lake, Lake Michigan has such big waves that icebergs would form along the shore and um, they would be giant mounds of ice. I, I can't even describe their height. It varied each year, but it was so cool to watch them form. But right along the shore, there'd be this beautiful flat ice before the first icebergs formed. And one day I said to my folks, can I go down and, and walk the beach and look at the ice? And they said, yes, but don't go out on the ice. Don't go out there, Chad. It's not safe. Oh, no problem. I won't go out there. So I went down to the water and um, started throwing a few rocks on that ice. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm just tapping the ice with my foot. This feels pretty firm to me. So I hit it with my heel a couple times. But I don't know if my folks are right. I think it's safe. So out on the ice I go, and I'm out there two or three minutes, and I'm doing what kids do. I'm, you know, <laughs> what were they thinking? Crack. I drop in. And the good news, it was waist deep. So I went into my waist. I, I came out. I went back up to the house with my tail between my legs. I opened the front door and I looked both ways, no parents. I bolted for my bedroom. I got in there, I went, Whew. Well, of course, <laughs> an 11 or 12-year-old boy doesn't realize there was a puddle that followed me into the bedroom, literally like water all the way into the bedroom. Two or three minutes go by, boom, boom, boom. Chad, it's my dad. Yes, you went out on the ice, didn't you? Yes, Dad. He says, I'll be in in a few minutes. It felt like a half an hour. 
and I knew what was coming. Folks, don't get caught up because I know we all discipline differently and this isn't about forms of discipline and right and wrong. I had done wrong and I knew I was going to get a paddling. <laughs> this literally is the paddle my dad used on my fanny that day. <laughs> I kept it. <laughs> my dad's passed, but he came in and before he came in, he made me wait, and I came up with this brilliant idea. I, I went to my drawer, and I had about eight pair of underwear in there, clean. So I hoist up every pair of underwear that's in the drawer. I put a pair of pants on, and I wait. And I'm like, I don't think Dad's going to know. And, uh, and Dad comes in, and he says, Chad, I hate doing this. And my dad did not spank very often. He says, I hate doing this, but bend over. And, and I bend over, and all of a sudden I hear snickering. And then laughter. And then my dad says, you take those underwear off. And he is laughing. And so needless to say, my dad couldn't quite recover, and my paddling was about half of what it would normally be because he was laughing so hard. The point of the story is not that so much, but that was an important moment in my life because my dad was trying to change my behavior. He was trying to protect me from making bad decisions, and I appreciate it. I remember it like it was yesterday, partly because of the underwear, but partly because they really were trying to keep me safe, that that was their desire. We are in a series called Guardrails, and I think the next slide is a great picture for us, if you can put that up. The next slide, please. Mike has talked about this. He's painted this picture for us, but you put the guardrail in what's called the safety zone on the road. It's actually on the road to protect you from the danger zone. Because if you put this guardrail just over into the danger zone, it wouldn't help us very much, right? You want the guardrail to protect you from falling into the dangerous area, whether it be a cliff or, in our case, behavior that you're going to regret possibly forever. So you put the guardrail in the safety zone. And I just want to remind us one last time, as we use guardrails in this series, we're talking about a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It becomes one of those things that, that we form, and it's a rule we establish in our minds that becomes a guardrail for us to protect us from, in a sense, falling off the cliff or into the water. So today, as we wrap up this series, we're going to be talking about a guardrail that we put in to guard our hearts. And I want to take us back to the Old Testament because I think it's fascinating. There was a king in the Old Testament. His name was Solomon, and he was the son of David. David was loved by God, and his son Solomon became the next king. And he was young when he became king. And, and God was delighting in Solomon, and he said to Solomon, just ask me anything, and I will grant it to you. And Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for, pow for power. He asked for wisdom. 
And God delighted in that request. And so he gave Solomon tremendous wisdom. We believe, and the Bible provides evidence, that he was the smartest man who ever lived. And so Solomon was given wisdom, and part of that was used to write what we refer to as the Proverbs of our Old Testament. Much of the Proverbs of our Old Testament were written by King Solomon. And I want to draw us our attention. I want to draw our attention to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Let me read that again. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, we see heart used a lot in the Bible. It's rarely used for this organ that's in our chest. It's rare that it's actually used to speak to our heart, our physical heart that beats and pumps and provides blood to our entire bodies. Far more often, when the Bible refers to heart, it's speaking of our emotions, our mind, our will. So when you hear heart today, that's what I want you to think of, our emotions, our mind, our will. Solomon, in all his wisdom, is basically saying to you, I've given you lots of rules to live by. The the Proverbs are are wisdom literature to help you navigate life, whether it be about money, relationships, work. All of it is important. But if you happen to forget all of it, remember this one thing above all else. You need to guard your heart. You need to guard your emotions and your mind and will above all else. Why? Well, Solomon says, because everything, I mean everything flows from it. Your heart is the wellspring of life. So the question before us is, what if Solomon is right? What if everything flows from our heart, from this center of our emotions, our mind, and our will? Well, if we move forward in the Bible roughly a thousand years, a man named Jesus, the Son of God, comes to earth and dwells among us. And while he is with us and ministering, he is performing miracles He's healing people. He's telling beautiful and important truths about his father in heaven. During this time, crowds pick up on this. And the crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus heals. And the story spreads. But strangely, the religious leaders, the the Jewish religious leaders who who longed for a Messiah, who, who... looked at the Old Testament and studied, when would we, Israel, receive our Messiah? They don't celebrate this man, Jesus. In fact, just the opposite happens. As Jesus ministers and heals and and performs miraculous signs, they get more and more angry and more and more jealous. And strangely, their goal becomes to silence 
Jesus. Not to celebrate him. Instead, they want to silence him. Well, at the very same time, they're getting mad and upset with Jesus. Jesus is getting more and more upset with the religious leaders. Because he can see that their hearts are corrupt. That their motives are selfish. They're not to glorify God. They're literally to glorify themselves. And so Jesus speaks to this as he's ministering to the people. And we find it in Matthew's gospel. He, he points seven woes at the religious leaders. And we find them in Matthew's gospel, chapter 23. But I'm going to narrow in on just one of those woes this morning. Matthew 23 Look at verses 25 and 26 with me. Jesus says these words. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Jesus, over and over again in this moment in Matthew, calls the religious leaders hypocrites. And when he does that, we really need to pay attention because Jesus is angry. And he's saying, everything in your behavior is contrary to what my Father wants of you. You're being hypocritical in how you are living and as we think about these religious leaders, one of the things I always have to be careful of, and I want you to be careful of, I think we can sometimes look and say, shame on those guys. If Jesus was in my midst, I would never behave like they do. But I think as we look at these seven woes, these seven criticisms of the Pharisees, if we allow ourselves we can see our own struggles and our own flaws. So I want to encourage you to have an open mind as we think about this woe that Jesus places before the Pharisees. And do you see yourself as I see myself in this woe? So Jesus calls them out as hypocrites. And he says this because, listen, he says, you love to put on a show before the people. You look so carefully at the outside of your cup. This is my favorite coffee cup. That's why I brought it today for the example. He said, you shine the outside. You make it look so beautiful. You wear these fancy garbs, these, these wardrobes that wow the people. You speak and you pray so elegantly before the people. You make all these fancy rules and you cast them on the people and you say, you must follow these rules that we have put before you. But you look great to them. But my father and I can see inside your cup. We see your heart. And guys, your heart is filthy. You're corrupt. Your motivations are impure and wrong. You have made this all about you and not about my father. You need to focus on the inside of your cup and begin to clean it out. 
and I just want to draw us back to make sure we're seeing the connection, Jesus was saying, get your heart right first. Get your motives right. Clean the inside first. And guess what, religious leaders? Guess what, people? The outside of your cup will take care of itself at that point. So I just want to put this up for us as something to remember. Jesus' solution to get their hearts right was to clean the inside of the cup. And then what flows out will also be clean. Here's the interesting thing. We can fool people with our appearances and behavior for a time. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were looking good if you didn't get too close to them. They looked smart. They were saying important things. They were wearing the right clothes. It looked good if you didn't get too close. They looked powerful. They looked wise. But here's what eventually happens. Eventually, our behavior begins to mirror our hearts. I think we all know this to be true. Jesus spoke about this in another teaching where he said, you will know them how? By their fruit. Jesus says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. And I would argue we can, we can do it for a time if our motives aren't pure, but we cannot do it consistently over time. Those who are close enough to us will see that our behaviors begin to mirror our hearts. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So there's two questions that I think we have to look at today. And the first is this. How do we get our hearts right? How do we get our hearts right in the first place, right? We're broken. We're sinners. How do we clean the inside of our cups? And then second, if we get there in some way, how do we keep our hearts right? So the first question is, how do we get our hearts right? How do we get this thing, the emotions, the mind, and our will to be right again? Well, the Bible addresses this in many places. I want to take us to one today. And it's the king that I started with, King David, whose son was Solomon. King David, we're told biblically, was loved by God. He did so many things to elevate the kingdom of God. But he was far from perfect. He fell into a deep trench of sin. And he struggled because he wanted to blind himself to it. Some of you know this story, but King David was powerful and he had adulterous affair with Bathsheba, a woman who lived just away from his palace. He had an affair with her and then he did everything possible within his means to cover up the sin. He was hiding from his sin. The inside of his cup was filthy. And one prophet, Nathan, had the courage to confront Nathan or to confront David with his sin. And he told David a story and David listened to the story and it was about sin and adultery and, 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 and running over people and David's eyes opened and he realized, Nathan said, that sinner is you. And in that moment, David's heart broke 
And what he did, he did lots of things, but one of the things he did is he wrote Psalm 51. And in this psalm, it's basically a psalm of confession. David confesses, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Lord, I have sinned against you. I have done evil in your sight. I have been sinful since my mother conceived me. Multiple verses. David is just confessing his sin to God. When you get a chance, read Psalm 51. He confesses, I'm a sinner. I'm swimming in my transgressions. And then David writes in Psalm 51, verse 10, Lord, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David is confessing, my heart is impure, God. My motives, my emotion, my mind, they're broken. My heart's contaminated by sin. God, the inside of my cup, if people only knew, it's filthy. Lord, create in me a pure heart. So as we look at guardrails today for our hearts I want to start right here with this question. How do we get our hearts right? With confession. It's not the only way, but it's one of the most powerful ways. We get our hearts right with confession. And I would say, both personally and corporately, confession is not very natural for us. I think so often our desire is to hide our sin and brokenness in the closet. And just hope like David did, that no one is going to see it or find it. We are reluctant confessors. And I want to encourage you and myself, we need to become everyday confessors to God. Here's some of the things I'm talking about. When jealousy begins to get a hold of you, don't wrestle with it alone. Confess it to the king. When you feel anger welling up inside of you because you thought you were the right person to get the promotion, and instead your peer, who you never liked very much anyway, got the job. Don't stew on it. Don't let anger well up in you. Confess your anger to God and let him begin to do a healing work inside of you. If you find yourself inching towards that set at that table where gossip often happens because you kind of delight in it somehow, confess to God, break this chain. I don't want to be a gossiper, God. And yet here you know this is a weakness for me. I delight in spilling the beans. It gives me power and I delight in it. God, break that chain. Folks, one of the greatest ways we can guard our heart is through honest confession. And I believe it's an everyday process. I have been working on this for a couple of years, and I am still nowhere near where I want to go with confession. But when an ugly thought enters my head, in my best moments, I go right to God. And I say, God, I cannot believe that thought just entered my head about him. This is so wrong. Take this from me. Break this chain, this unhealthy thought that has bound me up. 
and, and release me from it. God, forgive me of it. So confession. I want to encourage you. Take a baby step. Take a giant step. But be, begin to become an everyday confessor to God. And that can be one of the most powerful guardrails you can have for your heart. But sometimes it's even a little more challenging than that. Sometimes we can't stop here with confession. Sometimes it needs to go horizontally too. Let's take that same example. Have an awful thought about the man who got the promotion or the woman who got the promotion. Carried it around for a couple weeks. Was angry about it. Stewed about it. Maybe mistreated them a little bit. Ignored them. Maybe sent them an email I regret. I need to confess this way too. Because getting right this way is vital and it almost always starts here. But sometimes it's got to go this way too so that we can get the relationship right and restore a relationship that God has placed us in. So I want to encourage you. One of the greatest guardrails we have for our heart is confession. Vertically, horizontally. But that's not enough, right? Getting right before God and, and confessing and cleaning the inside of our cups with confession is the starting point. But how do we keep our hearts right? Well, there's lots of biblical truth around this. I want to take us to one place. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church, certainly to all of us. He's wrapping up his letter. He's trying to give them some important things to take home and remember And Paul writes these words, Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I love these verses. I think they're so important. How do we keep our hearts right? Ingestion. What do I mean by that? I wanted to make a connection that you could remember beyond this morning. Confession, getting right, ingesting, ingestion, keeping your heart right. What are you ingesting? Paul is suggesting what we should be ingesting. We, we should be living every day, praying, giving thanksgiving, ingesting the things that point our eyes and our hearts towards God. Do it regularly, routinely. Make it part of you. And when you think and and use your mind and and process, think about those things that are noble and excellent and praiseworthy. In other words, the things that are healthy and actually edify you. That's where your mind needs to be, Paul says. Focus on the things that, that, that enrich you and make you able to teach and love on others in a deeper, more profound way. Well, I love this, and I think it's profoundly true. It's a powerful guardrail because we need to focus on the things that are life-giving, not (laughs) life-flipping, 
not things that, that turn us upside down. And, but here's the reality. We struggle to live by this guardrail, don't we? We, we profess we're too busy. I, I'll, I'll begin to be thankful and, and spend more time in prayer and, and, and focusing my mind on, on admirable things, but I can't do it this week, and then it becomes a month, and then it becomes a lifestyle. We struggle to live with this. And you're not alone. Ironically, Solomon couldn't live by his own guardrail. If you read the rest of the story, it's like a tragedy. The wisest man who ever lived fell into deep, profound sin. He couldn't follow his own guardrail. So I'm not suggesting this is easy, and wisdom alone doesn't help if we can't put it in to practice. So we need to be ingesting the things that edify us, that bring glory to our Father in heaven. And I want to make one more suggestion. We also need to limit our ingestion of the things that are not edifying, that don't bring glory to God. And every one of us can kind of know what that is for us as individuals. I just want to give a personal example to make this as practical as possible. For me, I have learned it's news and politics. I have to limit my ingestion of those things. And it's not that I want to, nor should we, stick our heads in the sand and know nothing about what's going on. I don't think that's necessarily wise either. But when I allow myself to swim in that swimming pool too long, I start getting angry. I start getting depressed. And then I turn, and, and in my relationship with my wife or something, I, I'm, 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 on, I'm on edge. I'm frustrated. That's when I've gone too far. So I have to limit what I ingest when it comes to news, when it comes to politics. I, I believe, and I don't want to speak for all of you, but some of you maybe need to limit your, your Facebook and your Twitter because those things get us all worked up and they begin to, to turn us away from this relationship and we get frustrated and we get angry and it spills into the rest of our life. So when we talk about ingestion, I want to think about it in two ways. Ingest things that are edifying and glorifying to God and stop ingesting those things that turn you sideways, that, that, that turn you away and draw you out of that healthy place with the Lord. So I want to end where we began. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, above everything else I've shared with you, Solomon says, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your emotions, guard your mind, Guard your will, for they are the wellspring of life. Everything flows from this. And yes, ultimately, it will drive your behavior. Guard your heart. How do we get our hearts right? We become phenomenal confessors. How do we keep our hearts right? We ingest things that edify we protect our minds and our hearts from the things that distract and destroy. Will you pray with me?
Lord, those words, they resonate. And I hope they resonate with others, but they resonate with me. Lord, I want to guard my heart. We want to guard our hearts, Lord. Help us establish guardrails that, that will keep our hearts, our mind, our will in places that glorify you. Lord, help us become confessors. Before something gets a hold of us, let it confess it to you and ask you to break the chain. Lord, help us. Help us also ingest the things that glorify you, that edify our hearts and our minds. And Lord, let us put aside those things that destruct and cause harm for us and those around us. Lord, when Jesus looks upon us, may he say, look at that tree. Look at those branches. Look at the beautiful fruit that they bear. May that be true of us as a church family. Lord, help us in that. That's our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.